everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. You're listening to the Sham Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Thank you. 
It has been pointed out that for Jesus, proclaiming the message was about more than words and included the ways he brought healing to people. And as Jesus moved around healing, exercising demons, and bringing hope, he made that message, those words, real. He didn't just tell people what the kingdom of God would look like. He showed them. That's the Reverend David Hodges, and today he brings you an inspiring message entitled, To Move, To Touch, To Heal. I'm Peter Wallace, and this is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're delighted to have with us the Reverend David B. Hodges, President and Chief Development Officer of the St. Francis Foundation in Salina, Kansas. He also serves as Provost of Christ Episcopal Cathedral in the Diocese of Western Kansas. Earlier, he served as Rector of St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Holy Comforter in Charlotte, and Interim Rector of St. Luke's in Jacksonville, Alabama. David is a graduate of Sanford University and earned a Master's in Criminal Justice from the University of Alabama. He received his Master of Divinity degree from the Episcopal Seminary of the Southwest in Austin, Texas. David, welcome to Day One. Thank you. Great to be here. You are president of the St. Francis Foundation based in Salina, Kansas, which has a motto, Pray, Then Get Your Hands Dirty. I love that. Essentially, you're all about putting the gospel into action. Give us an overview of the foundation and the work that it supports. The St. Francis Foundation is a supporting foundation, and through uh, fundraising, church relations, and marketing, uh, all of our efforts support the work that is done uh, through St. Francis Community Services in taking care of children and families. And give us a, a sense of the breadth of that work. We currently work in five states. And, uh, and two countries in Central America. And, uh, the work uh, primarily focuses on uh, providing a variety of services to children and families, um, such as uh, foster care, mm -hmm. uh, adoption, uh, what's known as uh, re family reintegration. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in Mississippi, we have a unique ministry that's uh, devoted to um, providing uh, developmentally disabled adults um, with uh, a chance to live independently. How do you see your role, especially in our country now where services such as these seem to be declining? Part of the, of the effort that we're engaged in at this point is to, is to find places where it, because mm -hmm. the, either the quality of care is declining or, or where the services are not what they need or should be, is to uh, look for opportunities where we might be able to provide those type of services, mm -hmm. which we've been providing um, in the state of Kansas for a number of years where child welfare has been privatized for uh, a long time. Mm -hmm. So how did this work all get started? Give us a sense of the history. Uh, it was started by an Episcopal priest named Bob Mize, who later became a bishop. Um, and he uh, literally went out onto the, into the plains of, of, of Kansas and began taking in boys who were runaways, who mm -hmm. were riding in on trains and hopping off, and uh, he formed a boys' home. And, and St. Francis became uh, known for, for being a place uh, for, 
for, for, for boys and for runaway boys, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's, that's what shaped and formed its identity. So we've historically had this affiliation with the Episcopal Church mm-hmm. um, and, and, still, and still do. You mentioned that part of the role of the St. Francis Foundation is church relations. What does that involve? Because of our historic affiliation with uh, the Episcopal Church, we feel like it's important for us to not only to maintain that relationship, but to uh, look actively look for ways to to strengthen it, but also to as 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 it is appropriate to be in conversation with um, parishes and with dioceses about how we might be able to work collaboratively mm-hmm. um, on uh, on on projects that may be ongoing in those places or in uh, uh, projects that we might mutually um, work together on. I also understand you encourage congregations and individuals to be involved in prayer for the women, children, and families you work with. How do they do that? Well, they they can do that in a formal way by actually taking a a particular child who is in Mm -hmm. our care and and, and, and making a commitment to pray for that child. Um, and, And part of what our church relations staff does is they um, are, are in churches and at dioceses and conventions is make that available to people, uh, and, and, and we do, we then use that as a as not only an opportunity to uh, have make sure that, that that children who are in our care are prayed for mm-hmm. and are remembered in prayer, but also as a way of establishing relationships uh, with people mm-hmm. and help them learn more about the work and ministry that we do at St. Francis. And how can our listeners find out more information about this work? Go to www.thesaintfrancisfoundation.org. Great. You were a parish priest serving several churches as rector or associate rector or interim in the southeast U.S. for a number of years. So what drew you to take up this work? I was attracted to this work because of the mission of St. Francis and because it's a unique, it was a unique opportunity for me to be able to, you know, exercise my ministry as a priest in a in a setting that was that is obviously not a parish setting, mm-hmm. but is clearly connected to the ongoing life and work um, um, of the church, and to be able to to really live into what it what I think it means to to be the church in the world uh, mm-hmm. was 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 very appealing, and it's actually been uh, more than I even expected or hoped that it would be. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about your calling to the ministry. You earned a master's in criminal justice, but ended up some years later at seminary. So what happened? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people ask me that question. Um, when I graduated from college, I had, had, had thought about and planned to go to law school, and, and but wasn't quite ready to do that. And I went into law enforcement hmm. and, and worked for uh, for seven years um, as a as a police officer and hmm. as a detective. Um, and, and during that period of time also, as you pointed out, earned a, a master's degree in criminal justice. I grew up in a clergy family. My dad is a Baptist, uh, Baptist clergy person. And so I'd always had been influenced by, by, um, by what I had seen and learned and, and as, as a child growing up and in my conversations with both of my parents, who both of whom went to seminary. Um, and so actually working in law enforcement and Seeing and experiencing some of the things that I did during that time were, were really very instrumental in, in my in my later on discerning a call into the ordained ministry when I when I came into the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. Well, David, your sermon today is based on the gospel lesson for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, Mark chapter one, verses twenty-nine to thirty-nine. Would you read it for us? As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. 
Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. David, what struck you from this text as you prepared your message for today? As I mentioned to you uh, in an earlier conversation, uh, when I was initially looking at the text, um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think about it in terms of the work and ministry that we do at St. Francis. But as I started reading through it and thinking about the sermon that I wanted to prepare, what what stood out for me was how in the first part, very first mm-hmm. part of Mark's gospel, we're introduced to Jesus as being someone who was healing and touching and being with people in the significant uh, in the significant ways that he was through the healing that he was offering and providing to them. Mm. Your sermon is entitled To Move, to Touch, to Heal. David, thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you for having me. healing and hope to children and families. This is something that I think and speak a lot about in the work I do through the ministry of St. Francis Community Services. Healing and hope are the cornerstones of the mission of St. Francis, and one of the ways we offer healing and hope is through work that takes place in our psychiatric residential treatment facility. This facility focuses on the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of children who have experienced severe trauma. Children who are admitted to the facility bring with them everything that is adversely impacting their lives. The demons that some of them have known and continue to know are very real. Last fall, a 17-year-old boy, whom I will call Daniel, was referred to our staff at the facility. When the process of evaluating Daniel for admission began, The St. Francis team discovered that Daniel had significant intellectual disabilities and was unable to speak. At 17, Daniel was functioning at the level of a six-month-old child. Because of the kind of neglect he experienced growing up, Daniel had never been to a doctor and had never received any dental care. It was also reported that Daniel only slept a few hours each week, which contributed to him being easily overstimulated and stressed. He required assistance with everything, including bathing and brushing his teeth. He also needed help eating because Daniel still did not know how to use utensils. Daniel had been in the custody of his grandmother, but because of her mental health issues, she had not provided adequate care for him. She had been able to evade authorities and the school system by literally hiding Daniel away, locking him in basements and closets. When his case was presented to St. Francis, 
There was concern about whether the team was equipped to provide the kind of care that someone as traumatized as Daniel would need. But the executive director of the facility said that after reading just the first three paragraphs of the report, he knew immediately that they needed to admit Daniel. From the Jordan River to the wilderness, to the Sea of Galilee where he calls his first disciples, to the synagogue in Capernaum, to Peter and Andrew's home, to a deserted place where he goes to pray, and then on to towns throughout Galilee, Jesus is on the move. But in the opening chapter of Mark's Gospel, where we read about all of this moving around, the story of Jesus and the development of his ministry can feel somewhat disjointed and unplanned. It is only when you step back and look at the movement of Jesus that you begin to see that each move he makes is part of a larger pattern. In the fundraising business, there's a process called moves management. It is a tool that fundraisers use to build relationships with someone who is or may become a donor. The relationship is moved along with a number of touches that are designed to be carried out over a period of time. The moves take the potential donor from awareness to interest to involvement and finally to investment. Managing the way people move makes the process more predictable and more productive. Moves management is highly individualized and it focuses on the person, not on the amount of money that person may give. It is based on three principles. Know your audience, speak their language, and take care of them. As Jesus moves, it is clear that he isn't just moving for no reason. He is interacting with, touching, and healing people. In doing so, Jesus got to know his audience, their needs, and concerns. He spoke their language and could address them in ways that mattered. And most of all, Jesus cared for the people he met. Up to this point in Mark's account of the story, Jesus has already interacted with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He has responded to a man who is possessed by a demon, and now he is with Peter's mother-in-law, lifting her up and restoring her health. Then as the moving around continues, we are told that many people are brought to Jesus with a variety of illnesses and demons, and that he responds by touching and healing all of them. The next morning, Jesus makes another move that takes him away from the crowds and the intensity of the work he has been doing. Jesus goes to a quiet place where he spends time in prayer. That is where Peter and the others find him, and together they begin to move again, because as Jesus tells them, he is supposed to proclaim the message. And that is exactly what Jesus does as he continues to move, to touch, and to heal. It has been pointed out that for Jesus, proclaiming the message was about more than words and included the ways he brought healing to people. And as Jesus moved around healing, exercising demons, and bringing hope, he made that message, those words, real. He didn't just tell people what the kingdom of God would look like. He showed them. Jesus reached out to and touched people who, because of disease, their behavior, or their demons, were suffering. He reached out to and touched those who had been made ritually unclean and banned from their religious and social communities. All of the moves that Jesus made had a purpose, and in those moves there is a pattern that has something to say to us about who Jesus is. It also has something to say to each of us about the work and ministry of Christ 
into which we are called. As the St. Francis staff talked about whether they should admit Daniel, the executive director decided to trust his instincts that were telling him that his team could help. He reminded them that their work is centered on unconditional love and their job is to be an instrument of healing. The decision was made for Daniel to be admitted and the process of healing began. As soon as Daniel arrived, he began to receive one-on-one care. He was sent to a doctor and a dentist for the first time in his life. The staff began teaching him how to eat properly, how to care for himself, and how to sleep through the night. With every move they made with Daniel, his behavioral reactions began to decrease tremendously. The executive director, who had followed his instincts and pushed for Daniel to be admitted, sent me a note about him in which he said, the most important thing you can do to a human being is keep them safe. In the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus travels throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message and casting out demons. And at the end of Mark's gospel, we hear more of the same. Remember what the angel says to the women who go into the tomb after the crucifixion and discover that the body of Jesus isn't there? The angel tells them that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Then he tells the women to go and to let the disciples know that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. As we move around going from place to place and person to person, we do not always know what is going on in the lives of those we come into contact with. But what we can know is that Jesus is out there having gone ahead of us to Galilee, to Salina, Kansas, to Birmingham, Alabama, to Los Angeles, to New York City. Jesus is waiting, inviting, wanting, and assuring Daniel and you and me and all of us that the crucified and risen Jesus is moving among us, touching us, and bringing healing and hope. At the same time, Just as those first women were called to tell the good news of the resurrected Jesus, you and I are also called to continue that ministry and to be instruments of what Frederick Buechner describes as a power that calls us both to heal with and to be healed by. When things are shattered and broken by sudden violence and death, when lives and families fall apart because of poverty, addiction, and trauma, when children have to be removed from their homes, when our religious and political structures seem polarized beyond repair, we, the people who follow Jesus, have something holy, unique, and much needed that we can offer. As Bishop Michael Curry writes, being a Christian is not essentially about joining a church or being a nice person, but about following in the footsteps of Jesus, taking his teachings seriously, letting his spirit take the lead in our lives. To all of us who need and are looking for healing and hope, the message of Jesus is the message that we can proclaim. The opportunity for us is to resist the urge to stay where we are comfortable and begin to move. The challenge laid before us is to actively seek out people and situations where we can respond, where we can touch, and where we can be what Teresa of Avila refers to as the eyes the feet, the hands, the body of Jesus. The world desperately needs the healing and hope of the one who has already gone ahead of us. 
called to live in the example of Jesus, we are asked to look with compassion and to move, to touch, and to heal as Jesus did. There are many Daniels out there, many who are in need of healing and hope. How will the ministry of Jesus move you? Reverend David B. Hodges was our preacher today. David is an Episcopal priest who serves as president and CEO of the St. Francis Foundation based in Salina, Kansas. For a free transcript of his message for the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, call us toll-free at 1-888-411-DAY1. That's 888-411-3291. Or write to us at day one 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. And remember, day one depends on our listeners' financial contributions. We're grateful for your support. I'm Sherry Miller. Next time on day one, we're delighted to have with us the Reverend Cutno Alexander, pastor of Christus Victor Lutheran Church in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. His sermon for Transfiguration Sunday is entitled, the happiest place on earth. You won't want to miss it. for some final reflections on his sermon today with our host, Peter Wallace. David, in Mark's gospel, Jesus is on the move, and sometimes Mark's account of the early development of Jesus' ministry can feel a bit disjointed and unplanned, you told us. As you put it, it's only when you step back and look at the movement of Jesus that you begin to see that with each move he makes, it's part of a larger pattern. He's interacting with, touching, and healing people. He gets to know people, their needs and concerns. And most of all, he cares for the people he meets, she said. You can sense a passion, a determination in Jesus to do what he was called to do. Is that a passion that we can develop as well? I think so. Because I, I feel like that we move and move and move. And I mentioned that, I referenced that in my sermon as we go from place to place to person to person. My sense is that we do that as much now as maybe Mm -hmm. we ever have. And so what I was trying to convey or hoping to convey in that is that, you know, as we do that and with the fluidity of our society and the rapid way in which we're always moving, that we have a chance and opportunity, I think, Mm -hmm. to be able to find ways to connect with people in ways that that go deeper than just – moving and moving on, mm-hmm. but but to find and be intentional about looking for ways to touch and to and to heal. And I, and I think within the context of the church mm-hmm. that, that maybe that's more important now than ever before, and it creates an opportunity, I think, for us to look for ways to be, to not just be moving and moving and moving for the sake of moving, 
but to look, be strategic about mm-hmm. how we move mm-hmm. and move into areas and to situations where we can provide what I think is, is something that's unique. Mm-hmm. Jesus tells his disciples that he is supposed to proclaim the message, but you pointed out that for Jesus, proclaiming the message means not just telling people what the kingdom of God is, but showing them by reaching out and touching people who, because of their disease or their behavior or their demons, were suffering. People just like Daniel in your sermon. Would you say more about how we can proclaim the good news in similar ways today? I also mentioned in in the sermon that, that there's this, that what we what I think we see in Jesus was not just words but actions, mm-hmm. and 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 I, to me that's the opportunity that we have now before us is to, is, to, is to live into you know what sometimes might be labeled as just um, rhetoric about mm. being the church in the world, but really getting out into those places where 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 we know that there is need, where we know that that, that we can do something to provide hope and healing. Um, or, or to be willing to at least discern ways that we can provide hope and healing, whether it be through the institutional church or whether it be through you know, organizations like St. Francis and others who are doing um, a ministry that provides that type of healing and hope to people. And I'm sure you've found in your work with St. Francis Foundation that the more you interact intentionally in these ways, the more love and meaning you find in your own life. Absolutely, yeah. You know, just in the in the story that I used in, in my sermon, you know, the first time I heard that, I was visiting our facility mm-hmm. with a group of people, and I and I heard the executive director tell that story, and I've heard other stories mm-hmm. like that, but but that particular one was to me just caught me, mm-hmm. and 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 there are, as I've mentioned, there are many Daniels out mm-hmm. there, um, and 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 those who are just. That we don't all we're, that we're not always aware of, and that we're not, not always making the effort to um, to try to look for a way to to, to be the, the Christ for them. Mm-hmm. David Hodges, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much for having me here. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever.
churchgoers looking for a little morning inspiration? Well, listen to Morning Inspirations and the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. to an afternoon meeting, Charlotte reached for the stairwell door. That door's blocked, Bill said. 
but Charlotte had used it an hour earlier. Ignoring Bill's caution, she pushed it open. The next sound they heard was the crash of the door hitting a workman's ladder, then a paint can hitting the floor. No need to repeat the painter's reaction. Bill turned to a wide-eyed Charlotte and said, I warned you not to open the door. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge. Good advice does no good if we refuse to listen. The breakdown has something to do with pride. Attentive ears can prevent some colorful messages in the high calling of our daily work. Eight, I deliver your Sunday paper every week. Seven, I'm the intern. We work on the same floor. One in eight Americans is struggling with hunger. Six, our kids walk to school together every day. Including millions of children and seniors. Five, we chat in the elevator at work sometimes. We all know people who aren't sure where their next meal is coming from. Four, I'm your cashier at the grocery store. Three, I work at the coffee shop around the corner. Two, I'm your babysitter. I care for your children. One, I'm your grandmother's friend. We play bingo together. Who's the one in eight in your life that needs help? You can make a difference through Feeding America and its nationwide network of more than 200 food banks. Take action at feedingamerica.org slash one in eight. A public service announcement brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to live. He has done the impossible time after time. He has, out of a manger in Bethlehem, Jerusalem, by way of heaven, his mother is still headlining in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. He fed.
glad we left that stupid party. No joke. Hey, baby, are you an overdue library book? Because you got fine written all over you. Oh, barf. <laughs> what about that girl with the hoop earring? Ridiculous. When she was dancing... Megan, look out. Look out. <laughs>
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on the cross and paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself truly to him. And you too will enter into that joy of sin forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah. 
teenagers learned about loans, scoured neighborhoods, and asked the right questions. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.